Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. When is it safe for me to see a patient virtually Whereas when should I really be seeing them physically? That burden lands on the medical community. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. Today on the show... Returning champion, Dr. Joe McHale, professor of applied cancer research at the TGen Institute for the City of Hope and chief medical officer of the International Myeloma Foundation, a great group. Today, we're talking all things telehealth, telemedicine, telepatients, telehospital, and video telephones, otherwise known as cell phones, tablets, and computers. Futurama, here we come. Upsides, downsides, sidesides? Zoom fatigue, e-burnout, telehealth in the workplace when there, when there is a workplace, I don't know, hashtag COVID, our reliance on tech versus actual human interaction, will hospitals and clinics really need so much real estate in the future, and the bell curve of acute care and mental health visits to the, this is Wiley Coyote, a piano just fell on my head, and I can't do telehealth. We are living in a new world, people. Now pause the audio, wash your hands for 20 seconds, unless you're driving, and then resume. Enjoy the show. Dr. Joe, I wanted to have you back on the show after an epic taping a couple of weeks ago because we almost left a cliffhanger after having an incredible narrative around multiple myeloma and genetics and survivorship and whatnot, but we left off on this dangling participle of sort of America's forced adoption of telehealth, telemedicine because of COVID. And before I ask you the specific question I have is I I tend to look back at all the sci-fi movies we've watched across the years. And there isn't a single one outside of like Picard's going to like the medical room in Star Trek. Everyone's always looking at some kind of screen at their doctor or at their other person. And it's been this weird cultural misperception that that could possibly be us. And yet I look at how people were really scared to throw their credit cards online for PayPal in the 90s because God knows what was going to happen. And we were like, why would I ever want to not physically see my doctor in person? And yet here we are. What's been your perch, your look, your observing this, this cultural shift in an urgent situation and the mass adoption? What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, thanks so much for having me back, my friend. It's so good to be here, Matt. And, uh, you know, we always hear uh, on these podcasts and on TV and radio, oh, we have to have you back. And, and you had me back and, and just a few weeks later. So I'm, I'm feeling the love and I appreciate it very much. And, you know, you've hit on a topic that I think is 
I shudder to say revolutionary because we've been doing something like it for a while, but never on this broad scale of finding ways to connect with patients electronically and foregoing the need of a face-to-face visit. And and my sort of quick executive summary of it is I welcome it with open arms. I think it is so important because there are so many interactions that we can have and have more fully in this capacity. With one huge caveat is that just like as we've come to learn, whether it's online shopping or takeout or anything else we do in life, as we've come to embrace the word virtual in the last several months, there are great aspects to it, but then there are always shortcomings. And the key shortcoming here is there are absolutely patients who must be seen physically touched, physically examined, physically cared for. And so as long as we always remember that we can't go fully virtual, as it were, in the medical world, we can reevaluate what parts can be uh, done that way to allow those who really need it physically to be there. And, And as I hope to explain to you over time, over these next few minutes, that actually I think there are things that we're doing better now virtually that we could never have done face to face. Is there still a trust issue? Well, I think the fact that we've been literally forced into doing this, it's its almost like saying for those people who are really hesitant about using, as you said before, their credit cards online or Amazon uh, or whatever means they have to deliver things, it, there is a bit of this fear and trepidation going in. But I can tell you I do – uh, dozens and dozens of video visits with my patients, but also face-to-face visits with my patients. Very few times have we really run into trouble. I think people uh, do appreciate it because there still is a human contact. It isn't just a pure email. There still is, as much as we try, a face-to-face viewing. Uh, and, and some co- contests, actually, it's really been nice for me, uh, you know, just yesterday, seeing a patient in their own family room with their pet dog next to them and seeing them in their context, uh, it it adds a dimension. Yes, in many respects, I'd rather be face-to-face with them, but I I do think that people are trusting the system. Most of our hospitals and hospital networks have reliable IT approaches to this, whether it's directly through the medical record or through a different system. And now that almost everybody has a computer or smartphone, uh, it can be used. Although I should comment that There are a lot of people that still do not, and we absolutely do not want to marginalize an already vulnerable population of people. Much like, you know, kids who've been doing school virtually, there are children that don't have internet access, and we want to be uber careful not to marginalize those individuals. I completely agree with that 100%, and it has really even further revealed some of the economic disparities in this country in terms of access, because now access went from, I live too far away to get there, to I don't have a smart device, I'm living on a flip phone because I can't afford a mobile device or a, a wireless plan. Are there efforts underway to reconcile those discrepancies? Uh, and there are indeed. And I, I can't say I'm the absolute expert in this area, but I just know that in even reaching out to our own patients, it has allowed us to focus on that important connection. And so for some of my patients, we have to do this simply by phone and not with a video because at least majority of people have some kind of phone access, be it landline or cellular. 
But there are programs that are pushing this that are starting to say, well, in our cancer center, we have to make sure that every patient has access, kind of like with the schools. Like I know in my school district here in Arizona, uh, the district made it very clear if there are students that didn't have internet access, that a laptop could be provided to them. And so I think we're going to see in the, in the medical world that we can facilitate that. We can provide that kind of access to people. And, and, and almost paradoxically, I can tell you that what you mentioned as a disparity, let's say living too far away, some that sometimes now we've actually overcome that in a positive way. That's the, the positive side to this that I was mentioning, that although I, I love being around people, my addiction in life is people, Matt. I mean, I would, I would love to hang out with you this afternoon and chat face to face, but we know that there are people who otherwise would never have had the opportunity, for example, to have a consult with me. Much of my practice is consultative and people over many years now have traveled from all over the world to come see me. I don't say that boastfully. I just say it pragmatically that that's what we've been doing for a long time. Well, now I am seeing more consults than ever because people can see me virtually. So yesterday I saw consults from the Northeast, from the Southeast and the Northwest and people didn't have to travel all the way to Arizona to see me. Uh, they literally had to flip the on switch on their computer. And now they have an expert opinion. I've had the ability to review their file. I've had the ability to discuss it with them. And then I communicate with their local oncologist. So there is a, I would say, even more than a silver lining to this. There is a deeper dimension to providing expert consultative care and medicine uh, that has been improved uh, by this virtual platform that we're using, knowing again, of course, that there are so many that still need to be seen and should be seen face-to-face. -face. So to level set the desires of telehealth to become fully implementable, we want to look at the sliding scale of bell curve, right? From, you know, hangnail to my arm got chopped off and or initial consultation to, you know, is this the right chemo for me? Where do we start looking at gray areas of whether it's worth a video consult first or a, or a telehealth session first before you need to come in here versus, oops, we waited too long, you should have come in first? I, I, I think you're raising a critical point and a point that unfortunately we are facing uh, now with COVID. As I remember when I lived through SARS, you know, 15, 16 years ago in Toronto, we had an issue where many patients were, if you will, afraid to come in or didn't want to come in. And by the time they were able to come in when things had settled post-epidemic, uh, their disease was more advanced than it had previously been. And now the treatment modality would have to change. So we have to be careful that we're not overreacting to want everything so virtual that we're missing things. Because there are things that we detect on a physical exam that you may not be able to detect when you're doing it electronically. And I think that burden lands to us to the greatest degree on the medical community where we now start to think through when is it safe for me to see a patient virtually, whereas when should I really be seeing them physically? And I think I've been involved in many expert guidelines that are being written and have been written during COVID, for example, to help define that, to help guide the oncology community based on specific diagnoses and specific situations. And I hope that we're going to get a little bit better for that. Again, sorry to use a simple analogy, but it's like saying there are certain things 
that you're maybe very comfortable with just ordering online, but then there may be certain groceries that you actually want to be in the grocery store to get. Uh, and your definition may be different than your neighbor's definition. And so we want some commonality, uh, but we don't want to go to either extreme where we inhibit people who really should be seen. We're, we're going to miss parts of the diagnoses and potentially have poor outcomes by not physically seeing them. But on the other hand, there are so many people that will save the hassle of having to schlep into the clinic and be seen when so much of it could have been done smoother through a virtual platform. So I think with each condition and each practice, they're going to have to more clearly define what is clearly one versus the other and where is there a so-called gray area in between where we'll have to learn as we go and more often than not probably default to the safer side of things of being able to see patients. Thinking about the video interaction when you're home versus, again, schlepping somewhere and waiting in line at the end of waiting rooms, do you feel like there could be or maybe there is somewhat more of a human interaction between two people over video? And I guess tangent to that would be, you know, you're in your session, you're with your doctor, you're with whomever, oncology, rheumatology, hematology, whatever it is, you know, you have to take like fierce notes, People like take massive notes and then they hope they capture everything and they get it home and they throw it on the fridge and they try to remember things. Is there an appreciation for that? There's a potential for that to be more efficient when you're home on a video conference? I mean, I, I do think there is that potential for sure. And, and we always want to ensure that those people that are maybe in the room with the patient, that the patient is consenting for them to be there because we always want to protect people's privacy. I, I do think that that is a genuine concern that people have. You know, can someone be listening in from another room? Or, But in general, uh, we're finding that very often now, because, for example, even during COVID, very often a patient could come in, but their partner couldn't because we were trying to restrict numbers. But now their partner can be sitting next to them. I think of a couple that I saw yesterday on a video uh, consult where the husband was the patient, the wife was uh, taking notes as we were going through in a more relaxed sort of way because, you know, she's sitting at her own desk and uh, we have this opportunity to open the dialogue. So, so yes, there's going to be pluses and minuses on both sides. I do think there is a beautiful chemistry when you are physically in the room with a patient. There's something about that proximity uh, especially when I meet a patient for the first time. Uh, but that being said, as we've come to appreciate having now done so many of these video visits, there is an element that the patient doesn't have that, if you will, that white coat syndrome where it's a, they're, they've been sitting, waiting in a waiting room, seeing other sick patients, maybe nervous about it, maybe got stuck in traffic on the way and were stressed. Here, they're in the comfort of their own home. They feel more relaxed. Uh, hopefully, they're more willing to really share what's on their heart and mind. It goes back to the centerpiece of this, Matt, which I know you and I have discussed before and resonate with, that relationship that is built between a patient and their healthcare provider is fundamental. And despite the, the fact that they're not physically in the same room, this whole process has taught us again of the importance of that human connection. So one adjacency to that reminds me of some of the discussions we had as far as advocacy when you're a cancer patient or survivor in the workplace. Telehealth at work kind of doesn't really work because where are you going to find a place that's private to do a video conference with your doctor and not let all your employee colleagues know you have X, Y, or Z? Uh, that is tricky. And and I've, I've had a few situations like that. Um, thankfully, more often than not, um, 
patients have been able to, as if they were going to have to leave to go to a visit, they could either go to home or to a place in the workplace that provides a, a private area. And, and, you know, I think it speaks to what's going to be coming in the future that I think we all believe post-COVID that many things will go back to the way they, they were. But tragically, like post 9-11, there are things about flying that have never changed since then. And so I do think that there are going to be some permanent changes, some of them to do with video visits, but also to do with the way we structure our hospitals and our clinics, and maybe even the way uh, larger workplaces structure their workplace. Maybe they will have a dedicated video conference room for employees to go to, to have their video visits with their physician and hopefully provide uh, the internet access and the computer for them so that the patient isn't burdened with that expense that can be secured and a HIPAA compliant as it were. I mean, these are things that we couldn't have even have conceived of six months ago, but now uh, may be the new norm. I, I feel that on the hospital side and the clinic side, we have to rethink even the pathways that people walk on to come in and out of the hospital. Uh, I'm blessed in my hospital where our cancer clinic is actually physically a, a separate building from the main hospital where we have a huge ICU that has treated hundreds and hundreds of COVID patients. And that physical separation has been helpful. You don't want every visitor that's coming into the hospital, as it were, to walk past the ICU on their way to the coffee shop. Right. I mean, I think we have to think through those kinds of things where the people that really need to be there should be there. Uh, with, if you will, reduced traffic, the same concept of flattening the curve, as it were, so that the people who really need those resources are there. And I know of cancer centers across the country that right now are replanning and rejigging even the geography of their uh, layout so that it reduces the risk of infection, enhances the patient experience uh, at the same time. Back with our guests after the break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Joe, shifting gears a bit, I do want to approach telehealth from the doctor's perspective. And this fundamentally does shift the 
I would say, almost the human experience of Hippocrates. You need physical touch. You're used to physically being in the presence of patients. And given the Zoom fatigue that everyone has in general, how has it taken a toll on any medical professional staring at a camera all day versus physically being in an office with people? And is it less stressful? I'm sure there's a, an upside to this, but what, what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, as you've said, there we've talked a lot about the upsides and, and being able to see people, for example, who are you know, hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. Uh, and it's very gratifying to be able to provide that. But, but you're very right about Zoom fatigue. I, I find myself more exhausted after clinic than I used to. Now, I don't know if that's just overall COVID fatigue, uh, but when I speak to my colleagues, th this is not just those who are on the front line. And my heart goes to those who are in our ICUs and in our emergency departments. I mean, these people are working so hard and literally putting their lives on the line. But but the down trickle effect is that there is an impact and everywhere we are, we seem to be less efficient. You know, there, there's there's uh, in my clinic, for example, I both see patients physically and, and of course, do the video visits. And so there's a lot more time doing PPE and, and uh, not that we didn't do that before, but to the extent that we are now with all the gowning and masking and, and sometimes gloving and face shields, etc. cetera. Uh, and it is exhausting. And even just sitting can be exhausting, especially when the, you may have to ask more questions for things that you might have been able to detect physically. Uh, this is one of the things that I loved about my training in medicine, particularly in Canada, that puts so much emphasis on the physical exam. That as you're as you're talking to a patient, you're you're literally examining them, you're watching them, you're seeing how they move, how they they favor that side that hurts. Uh, uh, you know, almost every sense is used: our our sight, our smell, our touch, uh, as as we care for patients. And um, so I do think that there is an element of change in the way we're doing it, some of it for good, as we've said, but some of it becomes challenging. I can tell you, I'm looking forward to the day where I may still always have some video consults, but I want the proportion of live patients to be going up because uh, that's how we've trained. That's how we've worked. That's how medicine has been designed. Back to the days of Hippocrates, as you said, uh, and we don't want to lose that art of medicine at the same time. And so I do think that burnout, which has always been a challenge and particularly a challenge in the last decade uh, amongst healthcare professionals, we're going to have to watch very closely that that hasn't been heightened over these last few months due to COVID. I have a lot of friends in the adjacent worlds of psychology, psychiatry, mental health, you know, physical therapy, you know, just regular psychotherapy and the adoption of virtual sessions you know, phone session, video, that's kind of accepted in society at this point. But now we're looking at maybe giving up the ability to physically see a doctor. Do you see a point in time where there might be telehealth only medical practices that augment in-person medical practices? I suspect in certain fields that there may be that. I think probably the best situation is where you have this kind of hybrid model where there are certain touch points in a patient's experience where they, no pun intended, need to be touched, need to be physically seen. That uh, when it's a certain basic follow-up for certain things, it may be easier to do virtual. 
But yes, I suspect within certain diseases, certain contexts where a physical exam is very limited, uh, there may indeed be virtual only like specialties and visits. But I think in the long run for the majority and not just in my world of cancer, but in almost every specialty, I think we'll see a hybrid model. You know, the the visit where it's critical that there's a face-to-face interaction, the exam is had, uh, that connection is made. But at certain points of follow-up, we may be able to say, well, we'll do, we'll do you know, follow-up two as a virtual and follow-up three as a face-to-face. I think that will become more of the norm in the future. And that will overall keep the total number of physically people moving in and out of uh, health institutions to be less. I've seen the emergence of some of these startups where they have a physical plant, but no one's there. It's like the Amazon store, right? Uh, Where you actually go buy books at a bookstore, which is the ultimate irony of the universe, but there's no cashiers. So you go to this place and you go through like this human car. Remember Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times and he goes through the gears (laughs) <laughs> uh, old reference, look it up, listeners. But you go through like this car wash. You're in a mirror and they scan you and then they, they telehealth. You have to go to a place to get telehealth. And then they tell you whether you're eligible to see a doctor and whoosh, the door opens and there's a doctor there. I, I think that's a little Gattaca. That's a little Star Trek for me. But you're right. There's going to be some kind of hybridity to the way in which we're going to appreciate when we go in which direction. But that leads to something you talked about before which is how many companies, like just take regular corporate America, they're realizing that work from home works. And there may not be a need to have so much real estate to accommodate profit margins and effectivity in running your business. You alluded to that before, but are hospitals going to start seeing, I mean, if you're not inpatient, outpatient clinics, just general practices, do they need, will they need so much real estate in the future? I mean, you're you're asking a great question, and I think we've already seen this first wave of evolution in medicine. So, you know, uh, I won't confess my age here, but I do remember back in my medical training where almost every surgical procedure, even fairly simple ones, mandated someone coming into the hospital, getting admitted, things get reviewed the night before, they have their surgery the next day, they spend another night in the hospital. And we had so many of these patients spending two, if not more nights in the hospital for something that now we don't even bring them near the hospital. <laughs> we, we have a separate outpatient practice or clinic that may do their procedure, their minor surgery, their colonoscopy, whatever it might be. So I think we, we had that first wave of moving from inpatient to outpatient. I think you're right. I think similarly, we'll have many things that are typically now outpatient that may be able to, to be virtual. Uh, and that's why I think we're we're having to think through uh, the general layout. Now, I think they're always, like with everything, there has to be a balance here. Like even as you've mentioned in the corporate world, you know, having so many people work from home is feasible, but is it long-term feasible? Does it affect the work ethic, the the culture, the motivation of seeing other people do their thing? Uh, is this just going to be a short term? And that's why I think right now in the short term, we're doing everything we can uh, to try and make things uh, conducive to flattening the curve and getting hopefully rid of this virus. But I, I do think that there will be uh, a desire, in particular in medicine, to make sure that we are still seeing things. We can all think of patients where 
you know, things may look good on the video, but when you physically get to see them and understand, they may be able to share with you more really what's happening and, and uh, that their care is best mediated through face-to-face -face interaction. So I think there will be more hybrid-like approach uh, than one extreme or the other. This may be a rabbit hole of a question, but how does liability work in telehealth versus physical visits? Yeah, so I think the Sentinel event was when uh, Medicare and insurance companies basically started to view the virtual visit like a physical visit uh, to be able to, to do one's billing. And from my understanding, from the legal and the liability side, is, is they, in doing so, we, we've captured it basically in the same way. There will be some obviously unique situations where uh, I guess someone may argue that the technology interfered with the interaction. But in general, uh, that communication, be it face-to-face -face or virtual, is under the same umbrella that we've historically followed. Uh, I, I don't think it's an unimportant area. I think it's one that we, we want to do everything we can to keep patients as safe as possible and reduce the risk of any misunderstanding or, as I mentioned earlier, any uh, HIPAA violations by other people connecting, which is one of the reasons why uh, we don't have just some generic sign in here and we see you. You know, we give each patient a very individual, if you will, code to use for that video visit. Um, so we're trying to reduce any other risks. But as with everything, God bless America, there's going to be challenges with liability. Oh, my God. Yes. And that, that leads me to like the supply and demand economy for telehealth, because like I said, like with businesses, are real. oh, my God, working from home isn't so bad. We can do our jobs and do these things. And maybe people are going to realize, wow, I really like this. I'm going to keep this. I feel safe. I was forced to use PayPal, but it's not that bad anymore. <laughs> are insurers going to continue to cover like an exponential growth in telehealth versus traditional visits? Are doctors going to want to keep I, maybe like scraggling into this new way of conducting business more when the economy straightens out, life gets back to normal. And people, no, I'm not going to go. I, I want the telehealth. Uh, it's, it's a great question. I, I'm not much of a prophet. I'm just Joe. But <laughs> if you want me to be prophet Joe for a moment and predict the future, I mean, I think like with everything else, the system evolved. I mean, I remember those discussions in the early days of moving things from inpatient to outpatient. You know, how is this going to affect billing? How are, how are people going to be reimbursed? You know, you, you've got to deal with it. And, and I think we will. And I think at the end of the day, people still need interaction with their healthcare provider. I mean, we are still physically made. If anything, COVID has taught us that we are all susceptible. We are all in need of care of our bodies. And, and I think there will be extremes or some people who will really dislike uh, doing it this way. But I think uh, at the end of the day, we will evolve our system. And I have confidence that that will happen, that we can have a sustainable system that may be a little bit, as you mentioned, thinner. Some corporations may have smaller head offices. Some hospitals may be a little bit physically smaller for their some of their outpatient procedures or outpatient visit uh, setup. But uh, I think if we believe that this isn't just a reaction to COVID, this is being wise and being prudent with the resources that we have to make sure that the sickest are cared for and that others are at less risk of whether it's COVID or unfortunately to think maybe other infections in the future. I think we're just going to have to evolve the system that way. 
telehealth and telepatients. The only thing constant is change. Dr. Joseph McHale is a professor of applied cancer research at the TGen Institute for City of Hope and the Chief Medical Officer of the International Myeloma Foundation and a dear friend. Thanks for coming back again. And this is this is not the last time. I'm glad to hear that, Matt. It's always good to be with you. I hope this has been helpful. And I'm uh, so thrilled to see the work that you're doing. And it's a privilege to join you. And I look forward to our next visit. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.